0: Hello and welcome again to another episode of 5 Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes 5 questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANNA, the Native American Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Native American community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Chinupa Hanska Lucas a multidisciplinary artist of Mandan, Hidatsa, Arikara, Lakota, and European descent. Through monumental installations that incorporate ceramics, video, sound, fiber, steel, and repurposed materials, Luger interweaves performances and political action to communicate stories about 21st century indigenuity. Using social collaboration and in response to a timely and site-specific issues, Luger produces multi-pronged projects, which oftentimes presents a call to action, provoking diverse publics to engage with indigenous peoples and values apart from the lands of colonial social structuring. Luger lectures and participates in residencies and projects from around the globe, and his work is collected internationally. Luger is also the recipient of the 2021 United States Artists Award, the 2020 Creative Capital Award recipient, a 2019 Joan Mitchell Foundation Painters and Sculptures Grant recipient, and the recipient of the 2018 Museum of Arts and Design's inaugural Berg Prize, Luger holds a BFA in Art Studios from the Institute of American Indian Arts. So, let's jump into this interview with Chinupa. Chinupa, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. How are you doing today?
1: I am well. Thanks for inviting me. How are you doing, Joe?
0: I'm doing great. It's it's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, I've been looking forward to this interview. And uh, yeah, if we could just jump into it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background uh, and where you're from?
1: Sure. Uh, I am an enrolled member of Mandan, Hidatsa, Rikura tribes, the three affiliated tribes. My family's from over around uh, the Lucky Mound section. and uh, But I was born on the Standing Rock Reservation in Fort Yates. And. Um, i let's see here i my mother's also an artist so we moved off of the res when i was around like three years old two or three years old my um well no I must have been much later than that actually because it was in the 80s and i'm not that young (laughs) um we my parents divorced when i was when i was younger so i've been kind of back and forth uh from North Dakota to the Southwest of the United States where I currently live, which is in uh, Glorieta, New Mexico. So my place is in the southernmost pass through the Rocky Mountains. Um, I actually live on the pass. So my my home is at like 8,000 feet. And this is like ancestral lands of the, uh, I believe there was a Pecos Pueblo. Um, so Tewa or Towa people and uh let's see well i'm uh i'm a, i went to school down here at the institute of american indian arts and had a focus in studio arts uh, uh specializing in ceramics and um i guess graduated in 2011 and uh i've been working in the art world i guess, since since then basically since graduation maybe before i mean i'm a I'm a booth baby, so I grew up kind of at the uh, art fairs and stuff with my mom, um, kind of moving around uh, sculptures, and she was a, she was a stone sculpture sculptor, so we would have to like my brother and I were her breaking crew, so we'd <laughs> go, go travel around with her and help her set up her booths and uh, <laughs> finish finish sanding stone sculptures and stuff, which is probably why I got into clay, because uh, I. I like the idea of the form of 3D, but stone is, there's a lot of back-end labor that I don't think is there in, in clay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we just kind of grew up back and forth. Um, <laughs> my dad has a ranch in, uh, my dad's family have a ranch in, in Fort Yates. So I would spend my summers there. Um, but, you know, I live in the mountains now, but I definitely feel like, uh, Dakota's his home, no matter what. Kind of, I'm just a river kid. I, I enjoy that space, you know?
0: One, one offshoot question. Uh, with the different uh, different events you went to as a kid, um, are there any ones that kind of stand out uh, from your youth?
1: Well, I would say, um, I mean, Indian Market was, was you know, this it takes place in Santa Fe, which is about 15 miles from where I currently live every summer and it was a big gathering um and so i guess it always stands out because uh a lot of my peers were actually uh kind of experienced the same thing as i did when i was a kid you know growing up uh within that scene and you kind of kind of it was like a good gathering place for me i i never felt completely uh at home in the southwest or you know we lived in phoenix arizona for years and i always kind of longed uh, and enjoyed Coming back up to North Dakota because um, my family's got a ranch, so I got to be like a, a you know what kid doesn't want to be a cowboy over over the summer, um, and that was that was kind of I always longed for home, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I think Indian Market was probably one of those mm-hmm. spaces where uh, you got just got this, uh, you know in Phoenix. Me and my, and my little brother, we were the only Native kids who went to the school that we went to, you know, while we were there. Um, there may have been one other uh, uh, O'otam kid, um, but he was like in an older grade than us when we first started going to like high school, you know. But for the most part, Indian Market was this place where we could come and gather and mm-hmm. just felt a little bit more like home, um, at least seeing, seeing and, and hanging out with other Native people didn't really happen in Phoenix too often
0: who were your biggest influences
1: um well my mom you know definitely was an influence just because her practice allowed me to see I mean she raised five kids on an art art uh, 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 practice so she was a single mother and you know sheltered us put food on the table and clothed us um, took took care of all of our needs and she did that with art so you know that's kind of one of the largest leaps is to to consider that it's a viable economic option you know um so that's definitely a part of that inspirational space but i would also say you know my grandfather um her her dad my mom's dad um my mom's name is kathy whitman uh my grandfather is carl whitman and uh carl my grandfather he was like uh he amazed me we you know after my parents divorce, we lived with my with my grandparents there in, in lucky mount and uh he was a i always called him like a junkyard genius he was like he would tinker and he had like this amazing library um where he taught himself how to do like uh circuitry and um he was really kind of a back to the land back to the people kind of guy and uh was way ahead of his time. I remember him building like a, um, a windmill, uh, when I was a kid, you know, to generate power for, for his place. And I remember him polishing stove pipes and laying the water lines, uh, for his house in the, in the center of these polished mirror polished stove pipes as like a passive solar system to heat his water. And, uh, yeah, he, I think he's definitely been an inspiration for me. Hmm. Um, as far as necessity and ingenuity you know built out of those spaces um and then you know (laughs) artistically um I kind of had a chip on my shoulder for the whole native art scene just because I did grow up in it and um it was so market driven that um it was toxic in a lot of ways you know um that market Indian market in particular in Santa Fe was not built for us or by us. It was um, primarily a a white space. Um, These kind of like collectors and hobbyists would collect indigenous art of Mm -hmm. the people in the Southwest. Mm -hmm. And the first Indian markets were them bringing their collections to share with with, uh, other people in the same vein. You know, this is like back in the 50s and there was you know in the southwest there was this kind of um romantic gaze and what i could only understand as um i feel as though it was designed to make um to make the american feel like they have a deep time relationship to place so if they could purchase native art that has that history and have it in Mm. their home um our stories, our cultures become their anecdotes at their parties, you know? And so there was something kind of gross about that that I didn't really appreciate oh. or tolerate, you know, and I didn't want to participate in that system. Um and then uh I think another big inspiration was was uh uh this artist who actually he lives in Minnesota now his name's Frank Buffalo Hyde and Frank uh, also the son of a, of a stone sculptor. Um, and Frank just made this really amazing work that um, it spoke to me and it spoke to like the last 200 years rather than the romantic kind of um, market-driven artwork of Native people. You know, it, to- it talk- told about our stories kind of like... Um, within the last 200 years up until present. And he's like a pop surrealist, but um, his work is was definitely inspiring and got me um, got me excited about the fact that, like, we don't have to have the market drive our creativity, you know, and uh, uh, it was just really inspiring to see the work that I that actually spoke to me as a as a native person, you know, especially a native person in the 21st century, you know. Um, so his work definitely inspired me to to move. And then, you know, there's 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 all of the inspirations along the way. Um, we have like our, you know, we have the luxury of of having uh, uh, a relationship to place, and in that, there's a visual language that communicates that connection. And even the people who were reproducing historical objects or romantic works, mm. um, they were also maintaining that visual language for us to um, decode and to utilize within our, our present practices. So, I, I I also appreciate the the um, you know the the labor and the success that um, other generations have have done to maintain that visual language for us. You know. Uh, And I think it's, I think it's beautiful and I think it's um, absolutely applicable to our present kind of world. So art, art is a great bridge, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful cultural
0: Mm.
1: bridge. So, um, yeah, (laughs) I don't know if that answers your question. I think I went completely sideways on that one.
0: You're absolutely right. Yeah. No, that's great. The, the lineage uh, from, where we are today going back a uh, 120 years of working artists uh, is is a direct line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean art yeah Our, art is art is a you know under the under the market driven and the commodity aspect of art and the way art is exhibited in institutions, all of this sort of stuff reinforces the idea that that art and culture are objects and nouns and are are to be preserved within these spaces for for people to learn Mm -hmm. from but you know i truly believe art and uh culture in particularly these two things that have been kind of uh uh relocated by by most institutions um is actually something that's living and breathing you know art art isn't a noun art's a verb culture isn't a noun, culture is a Mm -hmm. verb, you know, culture is something that needs to be maintained and art is one of the ways to maintain that culture. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only the finest edge of a, of a knife, you know, behind me is generations that reinforce that, that edge, you know? And so it's our responsibility to move that forward. It's our responsibility to, to, um, um, yeah just like maintain our cultures for for our for future generations you know we're we're always just borrowing things nothing's ever ours you know including our culture and our art you know so i'm somewhere in that you know uh, uh, maybe pushing and challenging if i if i can and we'll see what the future
0: decides oh absolutely uh, we're caretakers mm-hmm. of a place in a sense mhm so how have how have you developed your your career
1: yeah how have I how have I developed it um well I came out of school at IAIA so at the Institute of American Indian Arts there I got to um uh I you know I had like a uh an art collective so this is back in like it hasn't been very long to have like a whole lot of exposure into the larger kind of art world because the native art market existed, it also was kind of a glass ceiling, I would say, for a lot of a lot of native people. And uh, um, and I was going to school at the Institute of American Indian Arts, and Santa Fe was kind of the the apex of that of that art space as far as um, commodity goes, com- you know, the, tra- the trading of of art for for capital. Um, and it was controlled not by us, you know, controlled externally and um so while i was in school me and some peers of mine basically started a a collective you know an artist collective and we'd put on shows it was called humble and um it was the warehouse space that i was renting while i was going to school and uh there would be like kind of a peer you know we'd be like somebody would be living there with me for, for some period. And then somebody else would, we just all kind of chipped in to keep that space open by having events. And they were all word of mouth um, and real secretive because at the time, Santa Fe as a city was um, trying to maintain Santa Fe as an idea. And, uh, and it was really kind of designed for an older um, kind of conservative uh, uh uh, people, you know, who were, who were living in this space, um, in Santa Fe and any sort of kind of like youth generated movement was literally shut down by the fire department or anything. If you advertised, it happened over and over and over again. So we would just do word of mouth, uh, shows where we would have musicians come and then we would paint live, uh, during the, the show. Or make work and hang it up in our space, kind of like a salon style, with you know music and gathering, and um, that really made me recognize that there was there was a a niche, you know, that the that the market wasn't reaching. There was a um, there was viability in the work that we were all creating, and that encourages you, you know. And so, for me, like my whole career was built upon aiming low and putting everything I got into it. You know, um, I'm not one of those folks who'll say aim for the stars and, uh, you know, at, at least you'll get the moon. I'm like, no, 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 no. A- aim for something that you can accomplish, <laughs> uh, immediately. And all along the way to this, like great, you know, trajectory, you get to pat yourself on the back and say, I did a good job. Look, I accomplished this, you know? And, uh, and I go, I go all in whenever I'm, whenever I'm doing that. And it's always upward, you know, so there's no devastation of not being at some expected place. You reinforce your accomplishments by, by, by not um, uh, focusing on some future distant goal, but to accomplish something that's present and possible. And from that space, sooner or later, you know, the moon and the stars, they're, they're at eye level with you. They just become another small step that you can pat yourself on the back for. And that's kind of been my model for, for working in this, in, in, in this industry and in the world in general, you know, I try to stay present and I, and I, um, I don't save anything for the swim back, (laughs) (laughs) but I have had a lot of help along the way too.
0: I I don't have opportunity. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, please keep going. Sorry. I think there's a delay. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh,
1: Well, I would just say that I also had, I've had a lot of help along the way, um, the the illusion of the individual artist um is just that uh, an illusion there um i'm always in collaboration with people i'm always i always need people to to um to be relevant in any sort of way you know um and so that you know i want to acknowledge and recognize um and just i you know taken risks as well, you know, um, and uh, and try to set myself up so that I could, could grow and, and accomplish things. But yeah, just I haven't done anything alone ever, you know.
0: I think that's a great point. Um, you know, so much about uh, this series is um, it's, it's sort of acknowledging the connections to other artists and, and those who have sort of built us up to where we are now. And I think that's that's a great sentiment. Thank you. How have you sought opportunities, or how have they presented themselves uh, as you are sort of in a different place now in your career, as opposed to when you first started out?
1: Um, well, I so I only went to school for for, for my undergrad, and um, and then I started working in a in a in a gallery here in here in Santa Fe. And um, I think once I was kind of plunged into that market right out of right out of university, uh, I started to see that like, you know, if I was just generating objects, I could be happy and I could just, um, um, you know, have have the exhibitions, do the shows, and be content with that. But I felt as though, you know, the primary function of art is, a, is, a, is communication. It's a, it's a way to communicate. And I felt like through the gallery system, um, you know, I reach one person and then the story for me ends on their, you know, bureau or uh, uh, coffee table or, you know, wall sconce in their home. Um, and, and it didn't generate, it wasn't generative as far as, uh, as far as practice goes. And so I wanted to get kind of tied more so into institutional spaces, um, museum and, and things like that. But that was a, I had to pull out of the gallery completely in order to focus all of my effort towards, um, academia and, and institutional spaces. Cause I didn't have the, um, I didn't go to grad school. So I wasn't kind of exposed to that whole world, which I liked, you know, um, I always intended to go to grad school, but I had children. Um, I have two boys, I have an eight year old and a six year old. And every time I intended on going to grad school and felt like my ducks were lined up, uh, uh we'd find out, find out that we had another baby on the way. But, um, <laughs> I swear my sons, you know, as far as opportunities and stuff like that goes, um, the paradigm shift of of tolerating indecency for myself was not a viable answer as a father of children. You know, my responsibilities were were not to me, but to something greater. And that really pushed my game as far as um, putting myself in spaces to to create work and to provide as a father. so that that was kind of like a big thing that moved moved uh, uh, the way I think in order to receive these opportunities, and and um, it was a lot of legwork. You know, I had to do a lot of hustle in order to get recognized within those institutional spaces, and um, and so that involved a lot of travel. I was on the road quite a bit um, before coronavirus came into play. I mean, I was probably on the road. Um, six or seven months out of the year, you know, and broken up over like a week at a time or, you know, two weeks at a time, and then I'll be home for a couple of days and then off again. Um, And uh, it's like, it's like beautiful and such a privilege to be able to do that. But it was also, um, it was a, a big sacrifice made by my family in order to tolerate that kind of travel. And, you know, the whole time I'm thinking I'm doing all of this work so that I can provide security and comfort for my family. And yet simultaneously, I removed myself from my family by being on the road and traveling so much to provide for them Mm. that I wasn't providing for them what they what they truly needed, which was like a dad, you know. And then on top of that, I wasn't benefiting from all of the labor and the efforts that I put myself in. And this is this is like some of the the downsides of um, the speed at which our economies move right now and the expectation of, of people within those systems, you know. Um, so, you know, outside of all of the, the, the um, loss and, and confusion and disappointment that coronavirus brought into the world, It also reset a lot of people's calendars and uh, reset a lot of people's kind of hearts and minds on on um, considering what's important to them. Um, And so at least that that's what happened for me. And now I'm like looking for opportunities that allow my whole family to travel with me to do to do projects and, and things like that. But as far as opportunities that come into play. Um, that whole academic and institutional space is is designed around proof of concept, like um, uh, receiving grants, you know, you, you throw out a, a large net every year. And um, you, if you're lucky, you get something, you know, uh, but that's not guaranteed. But what's fascinating is once you do receive them, Um, and you show up and you produce, um, what you say you're going to produce the integrity and the trust that's developed within that relationship to, to like, um, the granting philanthropic world is, uh, they need proof of concept. And once they have it, it's a lot easier to receive new, um, grants, as long as you've shown up and proved that you will do what you say, you know, Mm. um, and, uh, go, go uh, beyond that if you can, you know? Um, so that's, that's been kind of, uh, a, uh, a, a step into a, a space that I didn't expect to be operating in is the, is academia, um, and institutional spaces. So, you know, as a, as a person with just their bachelor's of fine art, I'm, you know, traveling around and talking to master classes around the country <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's always kind of fascinating to think about that, that, uh, that all of that stuff, you know, um, even just thinking about it in the scope of my whole, of my whole life, like, um, I don't know, there's a saying that goes around, you know, I'm my, I'm my elder's wildest dreams. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that a lot sometimes.
0: So what would you say to the, the 18 or the 22 year old that's listening to this?
1: Well, I would say that, um, I would say the thing that probably pushed me into the space that I am right now, you know, the two, the two kind of uh, uh, ideas that can drive a creative um, and generative kind of like practice, um, not just in art, but in just about anything that you do, there's two things that have been really helpful for me. One is the the aim low and give everything you got scenario like that. It sounds like dodgeball rules, <laughs> but it's uh, um, it's good. Like it 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 generates, um, especially if you if you don't come from a space of entitlement, you know, and, and you, you see the struggle all around you. The um, that's an entitled phrase to say to aim for the stars, you know. That's an entitled mm-hmm. phrase to to expect that level of, of, um, um, possibility, you know? Um, and so, a, you know, a lot of folks are, are, don't live in that space and that's so unrealistic to them. So I like accomplishing small goals and every single one of them forward moving. Um, so that's one thing that I would suggest, like take that to heart. It is a good model. Um, and the other thing, uh, that I've found that is absolutely relevant, particularly, I noticed it in the art career that, I, that I've that i chosen, but I can imagine this is also applicable in so many other spaces, which is like, never stop, you know, um, uh, a, a lot of the success that I have is that even through the hardship, even through the disappointment, even through like, not feeling like I'm a part of the conversation, I never quit, you know. I don't know how to quit. My mom always said that. She always say, <laughs> "You don't know when to quit." <laughs> but uh, uh, it's that 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 grit, that grit that generates, um, um, like the courage to continue even under when the circumstances are difficult. That grit um, and that willingness to follow follow through. Um, and to, to simply even just continue, it doesn't have to be brilliant. It just needs to be done, um, over, you know, over the course of your life will put you in a, in a space because not everybody has that sort of grit, you know, not everybody has that sort of, um, endurance and, uh, and we do, you know, I know, I know we can, if we, we can draw upon, on endurance, we've experienced too much stuff to like let that kind of stop you and as long as you keep at it um eventually all of your all of your um everybody who's considered competition or everybody who is you know is even you know holding um you know our gatekeepers for spaces like they they disappear and you you keep making your work and you keep being there and that um you know from a from an artistic standpoint like just work through, work through the blocks, work through the hardships and know that everything, um, even, you know, failure is one of our greatest teachers, you know? So, so learn from that and, and move forward, you know? So those, that's, that's what I would, I would suggest.
0: Where can, where can our listener find, uh, your work, uh, be able to check you out?
1: Um, well, I am, um, I'm represented by a gallery in New York called Garth Green and Gallery. And, um, so they have, they have kind of the more, um, they have a pretty comprehensive list of, of works that I'm producing, uh, presently, but, you know, easier than that online, uh, chanupahanska.com. So that's just my name, C-A-N-N-U-P-A-H-A-N-S-K-A uh, is a good place to see. Um, Chidupahanska is also like, you know, uh, my social media handle as well. So, um, any of those kind of spaces is, is good space to see what I'm up to, what I'm working on and, um, and view some of the work that I'm producing. Uh, a lot of the video and film work can be visited at my website and, um, yeah, there's also, you know, a couple of other projects that are in the works. Um, I was working on a project called Settlement. Um, that's S-T-T-L-M-N-T dot org. And this was a, I was bringing 30 artists to Plymouth, UK, um, to build a settlement in their central park as a as a response to the commemoration of the Mayflower 400. So there was 30 indigenous artists from um, several several tribal nations um across the country and into the pacific to kind of describe um the lasting effect and the the pervasive effect of 400 years of of colonialism and uh so uh, that city of plymouth in 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 the united kingdom uh is like the 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 harbor in which most of these colonial ships from from um, the uk left so we wanted to have a good kind of honest complex conversation there anyway that Mm -hmm. because of coronavirus we couldn't bring people physically to the space so we created a digital occupation um and you can see a lot of the works of a lot of really amazing um contemporary native artists from from around the the continent um at settlement so those are a couple of places to to check out some of the work that i'm i've been doing and uh and what community looks like you know in a 21st digital sense, <laughs> <laughs> you know sense uh
0: yeah we'll uh, put we'll, uh, we'll put links in the show notes uh for for our listeners to to follow chinupa thank you so much for this this was an absolute pleasure
1: yeah thank you too i appreciate it
0: and that does it for this episode of five Flame questions i want to thank chinupa again for his time and sharing his story with us uh this this one was a lot of fun. I, um, you know, I haven't met Chanuma before. And from my understanding, uh, he was actually one of the first artists to be involved with the Canna Initiative at the Plains Art Museum. I believe this was back in 2015. And based on the, the, the conversations with the previous director and the staff at the museum, he, um, you know, he was a lot of fun. It was a really great experience for everybody. And so whenever we're talking about new exhibitions, programming, his name is never far That discussion, and uh, so I would say, uh, just uh, you know, pay attention to the Plains Art uh, website, PlainsArt.org, and sooner than later, I hope uh, we will have a uh, Chenupa Hanska Luger uh, exhibition uh, being posted there. So uh, hopefully, that's in the works uh, sooner than later. Um, Yeah, uh, previous to this conversation, I've actually have not met uh, Chenupa before. And so often, with, with some of these conversations I have on this podcast, I walk away from this just feeling great, just feeling recharged. Uh, I feel so good about the people that are on this program and so many that are, that are in this community. And he is, he is a shining example of a good and decent individual doing hard work for the community, uh, from his work in the Oscar Howe program uh, to just his interactions with the community and the things that he's doing to promote awareness of Indigenous issues through his artwork through his advocacy but more importantly I want to thank you for joining us again and spending your time listening to this and all these other conversations uh, you know it's yeah I just feel his is such a very important story and perspective from our community so please uh, join us next week as we have another incredible person uh, on the podcast I'm Joe Williams you can find me at Canada that's C-A-N-A-A Website. There you can see our programming, our uh, past programming, our videos, and these podcasts. Uh, you're going to see soon um, a new video that's coming up from our initiative uh, called the Indigenous Food Series, uh, where I've created uh, with local artists, Notion AI, uh, and the staff. Uh, we've created these uh, these videos of uh, Indigenous uh, chefs and creators creating up from home, uh, with the idea of a healthy alternative to foods that um, that we've all been uh, subjected to from the 20th century. Lots more than that So, but yeah. Anyways, if you have someone to suggest to me uh, to interview, uh, please uh, message me. Let me know. I'd like to hear from you and see you.